You are listening to the Trinity Presbyterian Church Podcast from Petaluma, California. Here is this week's Adult Sunday School class. What do you say in the midst of this last academic year and this year, some trends that are going on, just to get some facts and figures out on the, on the table, so to speak? Uh, enrollment continued to plow uh, forward at a slow and steady increase for us. Um, what happened nationwide, we know this because, believe it or not, even though we have competitor institutions out there, we all talk to one another and try to encourage one another, and the deans meet to what I call a dean's summer camp. Uh, and um, in, in order to share strategies and share ideas about fixing problems and that kind of thing. And across across the board, there was a decrease in theological seminary education. Um, and drawing a circle a little smaller, that would be like unto us, you know, reformed Napart churches, training people primarily for that. And COVID exacerbated that. So before certain institutions may have already been practicing online education, certain institutions were, were toying with the idea of more online education. And then our academic dean went to the Dean Summer Campus last year, and all the deans were happy to get together. Isn't it fun that we can get together face-to-face uh, and talk about meeting face-to-face? And then in the very next breath, they all started to talk about how excited they were for their new online programs, which seemed thick with irony. But <laughs> uh, here's my soundbite. We're not training drone pilots. You know, if you want to be a drone pilot, then get senator's approval and go to the Air Force Academy and learn how to be a drone pilot. Even though, you know, I wouldn't I would recommend that for any one of my own kids. It's, it's actually pretty traumatic uh, for those folks, but um, unnecessary, unfortunately. But um, we're, we're all about doubling down on face-to-face education. Um, in other words, we think it's really, really important for in our kind of education that people meet face-to-face, professors and students, students and students, and, and um, so we're, we're literally, um, and this is true, I'm not exaggerating, we are literally turning into not a dinosaur, but the dinosaur. Um, almost every educational institution that's doing something like us has either switched to a hybrid method, part-time online, part-time face-to-face, or completely online, and um, we're not doing that. We're committed uh, so far to complete face-to-face education. And so that makes us a bit of a dinosaur for other reasons too, um, which I'll comment on in a minute. So at the last graduation, we had 32 graduates um, in the class of 2023, 22 Master of Divinity graduates, that's the degree we grant to people usually typically going into ministry, like Reed, uh, 12 Master of Arts graduates. Um, and I may seem uh, relatively small, and we are a relatively small institution, uh, but I guess I would say, um, and, and we're happy to be small, and um, we want to train, to be perfectly candid, the best and the brightest of our churches out there. And so we're happy uh, to receive um, um, what will become 
um, really stand out pastors and ministers in the future. Um, and this is not meant to criticize other institutions, but rather to reflect for you a general trend that I think is worthy of commending to you for prayer, especially in light of Reformation Day service. You're going to hear it today, tonight, especially, that Reformed churches since the Reformation have always considered an educated ministry to be vitally important to the church. And stated in the negative, uh, when uh, that doesn't happen, uh, churches have always maintained that that will either bring, uh, that church has always maintained, welcome everybody, that that will bring um, injury to the church, either in the short term or the long term. Um, I mean, would you want to go to a doctor who, or an oncologist uh, if they didn't have organic chemistry? Probably not. <laughs> not in this country. And so we think it's pretty important for this class level of deep education to happen with your ministers, too, since uh, the profession demands precision and care and etc. Um, so um, the PCA sponsored seminary, namely Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, graduated five in students last year. And I'm talking about one of the largest seminaries in the country training reformed people. Now, I don't say that, like I said, to speak ill of them or to deter from their desires to build a community and equip the book. But that's an alarming, alarming statistic that I think will not bode well for the church uh, down the road. So we're, we're very concerned about that kind of trend. Everybody's dropping the required hours. We're not. Um, and... Um, so anyway, back on track. Uh, over the years, we're a relatively young institution. We've had 1,200 grad graduates serving in uh, 30 different countries, six out of seven uh, of the continents. Um, here, let me just pause and see if there's any questions about anything I said or any of these trends. Sorry for being, I'm not trying to be a scaremonger or alarmist, but the, as a theological educator now for over a quarter century, that is, that is a very uh, concerning thing uh, for the church down the road. So, any questions on that? Yeah. Of the of the graduates, how many of them got a who, who were going into the ministry? How many of them? This is off the top of the head, I know. Uh, found a church, and then what denominations were they? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Because um, I don't have it here in my little bullet point thing. <laughs> And the man upstairs probably just heard about my people memory, so that's good. Thank you. Uh, yes, um, uh, we have a pretty high placement ratio. So there's a little bit of asymmetry here. Some of you young people on this won't make any sense or now so much, but you know, when you go to college and when you get trained, or even if you don't go to college and you're getting trained for a trade or whatever. Um, you know, placement is always huge. And we have a pretty high placement ratio. There's some asymmetry, though, between uh, what we do and many other professions. So, for example, Marlon's profession, I don't know if he got hired before he even graduated, but I have a son who's an engineer, and 
you typically, you know, do an internship and you get hired out of that internship or, or all the headhunters swoop in, you know, trying to get you before you even get the, the phone in your hands. That's not so much the case with us, you know, we had to go through many trials and exams, lots of trials and exams, <laughs> uh, before you got officially called here. And um, so, you know, there's usually your lag or two, but um, high, high rate of success. And it's not just churches, it's also the mission field. You know, we're training people for other vocations. We have people to become doctors and lawyers and teachers, uh, missionaries, and um, a woman who just graduated and getting hired to go back to the Mayo Clinic to be a chaplain. And so we have a lot of different vocations, but our bread and butter primary mission is trained ministers. So pretty high percentage. I mean, if there's some that don't, I mean, maybe even some who graduated last year are still finding their way, but a pretty high percentage, I would guess 80%. And often they have to do a, an internship before they get an official call. Not absolutely, but that's recommended most frequent churches. Good question. Where, where do they end up with denominations? Oh yeah, right, sorry. Um, mostly the OPC, the PCA, or the URCNA, but we also have a number of people um, still coming to us in the COC, coming up in the COC. And we also have people who are Reformed Baptists, and so they're not persuaded of uh, paedo-baptistic views, and so... Wait, they graduate still? They do, they do. Uh, so as professors, we make a confessional commitment to the three folks in the Westminster Standards, but we don't require that of, of the students. But I am happy to report that often, even after leaving, not too long afterwards, uh, they get their ecclesiology straightened out. With all due respect, if we have any Baptists here, we have and, and uh, four guys all came, knew each other, and they're all um, ordained and serving in, in neighbor churches. Dan Spenson just took a very large CRC church in the Midwest into the OCC. The entire church, they lost one family. And, uh, but it was really fun, these guys. They're all athletes, played football together and other sports. And, but anyway, it's like one by one after the last one. So, anyway. But, yeah, um, I mean, over the years, we've had over 40 different denominations represented. So it's not strictly really preparing people for those uh, churches, but that's for the bulk of people we have. And we get a lot of broad evangelicals who come and, and you know, they're not only getting their mental furniture with regard to theology straight down, ecclesiology too, and so often they'll come to us and and they're not serving in a interview for a church, even though they have no designs to do that. We just made a couple of great hires. Um, and um, we were down one systematic theologian, so we hired uh, Jason Pickard as an associate professor of systematic theology. And in July, he started 2023. He seems like he's going to work out really great. Uh, he came to us from New Zealand. And um, on this search, you never know what's going to happen. We, we practice best practices. Um, and sometimes we're going after somebody that we would really like to hire. But sometimes someone rises to the top, surprisingly, is that you don't expect. And that was the case with Jason. 
Uh, we think he's going to be really good, and um, he's young in his career. Um, he shows great promise, and that's exciting. Um, and then we poached a professor from Westminster in Philadelphia named David Drionis, a New Testament scholar that many of us knew for a long time. But we've been doing a lot of searches, and you know, Reed was trying to count all the professors that were still there when he was trained, and there's been a fair amount of turnover. Good, good turnover. Not in the sense that, you know, in comparison to the previous professors were bad, but some retired, some moved on elsewhere, and so we've been doing a lot of hiring. And we hired Dave Rionis, which um, uh, was entertaining. I, I've never been involved in poaching another professor from another like-minded institution. And uh, where one of my former students is the academic dean, and so, but We've since reconciled and sorted out our relationship. Uh, I was in a little bit of trouble at first for uh, that. We're trying to keep it all quiet, professional. And suddenly one night my phone is ringing off the hook and my wife tells me they're good at it. It's like, see, I can <laughs> I just got done talking to Professor Briones, and you guys are stealing them. So I was like, no, we're not stealing them. And, uh, so anyway, it was all amicable. That means, uh, you know, we're still friends. And, uh, and good. And his family's out on the West Coast, and there's a number of reasons for him to move his large family out. Um, maybe I'll put a plug here, it's not in the notes. Um, pray for your son, pray professors to Westminster. <laughs> we live in a fishbowl, as some of you are well aware, and, um, but it's also, it's also very challenging and hard right now. I mean, for a family who has five or six kids, to move from another country, to move from a different part of this country, and try and survive in Southern California, and the financial exigencies that are upon it. And many of our students make a lot more than we do when they graduate and go to church, without any experience. That isn't to garner sympathy, it's just to say it, it's a huge sacrifice when, when people come. We probably don't talk about that enough. Isn't, um, so I'm so proud to serve all these uh, brothers and colleagues um, that make these big sacrifices to come and to train these people who will go out into leadership literally around the world at very high positions, especially in other countries, especially in third world countries. I mean, we often get from third world countries that have a reformed church, I mean, they are sending us um, their potential future leaders in the church moderators of general assembly and theologians that will train up a whole generation and so so you know it's just a privilege to work with people who get that mission and get that goal but it's also very very hard so but god is good and he um, provides um, so we're very thankful this january we'll have our annual faculty conference uh, to which some people from this area um, regularly come and uh, the, the Theme will be our aim is love, which comes out of 1 Timothy, the opening chapter, where Paul is addressing Timothy and uh, talking, uh, reminding Timothy that that's uh, our aim and charge. And we're trying to showcase, especially some of our new faculty in the past several years, that we 
So we're, we're glad that um, our state lets us meet together face to face to have a conference. For a couple of years, we couldn't do that, and, which was necessary. And um, so, um, so that that didn't become a super starter again. Anyway, um, residential student housing. This is a big project. I'm happy to report the last building of our residential housing program, which was a $30 million project, which is a small institution, 150 students, 130 to 150 students. And we have a small constituency. But um, I'm, I'm happy to report that that is just about done. And um, we have 95% occupancy of uh, single students, married couples, and families. They're absolutely beautiful. And, uh, and um, nine apartment buildings and the commons building. And the nine buildings have eight apartments each, so a total of 72, one, two, and three bedroom apartments. And um, the last figure I heard. I'm not even sure it's up to date. Is of that thirty million dollars, uh, we only have one point five million to appraise. In other words, we owe almost nothing to the bank on this. And God, that's that's just amazing given the size school that we have. And this probably sounds a little braggadocio. I'm not trying to, but I visit other reform campuses around the country and teach at them. And we have the nicest housing in the entire country. The, it's the safest place in Escondido, my wife found in the newspaper, the safest place in Escondido to live. Which Escondido is a little ghetto, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's, there's a, uh, you know, on that with him. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed uh, the graffiti, you know, uh, so, uh, but, you know, someone, like Jim, who used to be in law enforcement, was in Escondido. He could immediately see the signs. You know, it's, not everybody can see that, but it's uh, you know, there's a lot of crime in Escondido, and so we're very thankful we have a safe place for these little ones. Eighty-five little kids running around, but it's not a ghetto. These students are off campus, going out ministering in their own communities during the week, long weekends especially. But but we're just very thankful to have this spot. It's it's. Developing some really wonderful community. So, um, administration probably wouldn't appreciate me saying this. A little risk here. <laughs> so, Brennan Winter and his wife Tiffany are now doing an internship back at Harvest, so if you see Grand Rapids. But we had one over dinner, he said, Well, I play the guitar. And I go, Oh, really? I hear that a lot. But he, he really plays the guitar. <laughs> So I challenged him, why did you have a little concert during reading week right before finals down in the conference? So we did. We had our own little, you know, concert. And <laughs> it was so fun. All the students go, this is an automatic tradition. Because uh, they're all stressed out about reading week and finals. And it was a nice way to just uh, have some fun in the comments. And everyone was really good. Um, all right. Any questions on the housing? Yeah. Oh, not on housing. Okay. Take it away. Um, I've had this conversation. Let's say you get a young man yeah. that comes up to you and says, I'm entering the ministry. I don't think seminary is necessary. Um, my church doesn't require it. What would be your elevator pitch to that young man to reconsider his thoughts? 
you wouldn't want to have a doctor that had never had organic chemistry in their preparation. <laughs> but, but I would say that the church, and by the way, especially the Protestant church, has always thought, especially through the Reformation, you'll hear it tonight, um, I'm going to talk a lot about the revival of learning contributing to the Reformation, that um, the church has always thought that um, for the office of minister um, and educated ministry is absolutely necessary. And so, yeah, elevator speech, I, I make that point and then hopefully draw them in to talk about why that's so. So what if he said, uh, gee, there's no explicit command, thou shalt uh, complete seminary uh, in, in, in the Bible. I'm giving a very biblicist argument for reasons that this would cover. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say, well, that's kind of a biblicist argument. Let's talk about it. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> kind of. Uh, so, um, I think probably if I'm talking to a young man that had that position, I'd share some anecdotes about how, just to catch them, because young people want to hear narratives, right? And not necessarily, you know, tight syllogistic propositions. And so, and then I'd, I'd probably share a couple narratives about how it can be so injurious. Or maybe some teachers. Like, okay, let's say, you know, this guy's been visiting your church for 17 years and he decides he wants to finally become a member and take you in. And then two weeks after that finally happens, this is a real life issue that happened back in the past. He kind of goes off the rail on his reservation, goes off the reservation on the of, of the deity of Christ. And in fact, every time the pastor starts preaching on the deity of Christ, he gets up and is, is divisive and noisy within the congregation, such that the elders had to assign, you know, the bad cop, which happened to be me at that time. So kind of show this guy out and talk to him. And so how are you going to answer this guy's question? He's very, very smart and very bright, but he doesn't understand our creeds and he doesn't understand catechisms as far as understanding the two natures of Christ and the Trinity. And, and it's profoundly affecting him and the community. Bob Godfrey loves it when I tell this story because the most practical and applicable courses I had had to help address that were Bob Godfrey's church history courses at that point. So another elder and, and myself as one of the ministers, we met with this gentleman and tried to reel him in. Because ultimately that's going to have profound effects on his moral life, right? He's not, he's not only doing injury himself, we had to ban him from the Lord's Supper for a while. And, um, but of course, ultimately the purpose of discipline is restorative, right? Yeah, we're not, we're not being punitive, we're just trying to reclaim his soul and help him be true to his membership. So maybe that would be a good illustration, draw him in and, and um, say, well, you know, um, not that the study of languages gives you some kind of silver bullet into the exegesis of a text where it's like, aha, it just jumps off the page. I don't know, maybe he preaches like this, like, you know, wow, this Hebrew word, and it's like, you know, no, I don't think so. But, but what it does, especially, is prevent reader myself from making numerous mistakes that a person would make. 
had they had not had that training otherwise. So just begin to soften the shell and, and help them understand that because to make the medical school analogy doesn't have a lot of traction until you really get down and explain it, right? And so, and, and, um, and I think in light, especially with this, it will give you a proof text. That's not how we get a doctrine in practice. You either get it by proof text or you get it by good, and, as chapter one of your confession says, we get it by good and necessary inference from multiple spots in scripture. And so I would say, uh, you know, sure, God used the disciples, some of whom I used to be a commercial fisherman, you know, some who were just dumb fishermen, like myself. Uh, <laughs> but he also and often used profoundly prepared, educated people like the Apostle Paul or Martin Luther. So there's a couple of things. Other questions? Yes, one can you talk about someone who's going through an MBA program with, a, with an eye to be a preacher? What are, what are the courses that they that they take and, and why? What, what, are the, what are you trying to accomplish in the seminary when you have to take these courses? Yeah, I'm giving you your 10-minute warning you requested. Thank you. All right, good. And um, so um, that's a great question. So we have maintained what we kind of call a classical approach to theological education. And we inherited that from old Princeton, which then went to old Westminster, which came, then came to us. Basically, with the assumption that you need this foundation of biblical languages, of um, church history, of Old Testament classes and New Testament classes, and systematic theology classes that might select one topic like the deity of Christ to look at, and we would look at the whole of the scriptures to express that. So, you know, they would come and do 110 hours of those classes with only a little bit of wiggle room um, for electives. Maybe it'd be helpful to make a distinction here. That's very different than a lot of other places. Like, I grew up in La Persona near Pasadena, where Fuller Seminary is. My dad went to seminary late in his life as a second career, and it was more of a smorgasbord. You'd have some of those foundation classes, but then basically the student gets to pick and choose to create their own curriculum. But Gordon Conwell Seminary is the same way. We're not a smorgasbord approach. And I guess we, we feel like as ministers, and there's a couple of us, but everybody's working, is this is what we inherited in our tradition, and this is what we think is vitally important for your training as a potential minister. And um, so this is the foundation we would get. We even tell that to missionaries who come, or prospective missionaries, and say, well, what about missions classes? Well, you can take a couple here and there, but we don't want you as a foreign missionary to be any less trained than a minister to North America, either Canada or, or the U.S., and then go get your specialty work afterwards on analogy, since I've been using the metaphor as a doctor. You're going to be coming on a colleges or a heart surgeon, and go do your residency and do those specialties later. But everybody across the board needs the same fixed foundation. I think you might have missed the practical theology courses. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, 
And then practical theology, so preaching classes, counseling classes, marriage and family. We've increased marriage and family courses because um, um, we have somebody to teach that now. And also, you know, of course, that's a lot of what ministers get. Really calling electives for special classes. Like, we're able to get Jim Berry, whom a couple of you know, as a leading addiction specialist in the U.S., testifies before the Senate. He's, he's arguably one of the leading guys to come and talk to our students about that since they'll face that on the church. Look at that. Okay. Now, in the United States, we understand the, the state of the declining church yeah. overall. How is it in the Orthodox Church? In your in your um, understanding or career, have you seen burnout within the uh, old OPC ministers? So burnout of ministers or decline in um, number of available ministers? What exactly do you want me to address? Burnout. Yes. Ministers. Yeah, very much so. I understand that the set, I'm not breaking a secret, I'm not talking about the post-sabbatical. So, you know, our denomination's encouraging sabbaticals and even helping fund that for churches, for pastors. I think that's very important. But being a minister is really, really hard. And a lot of people don't realize that. Probably the families of ministers do, the families of ruling elders, even the ruling elders don't talk much about what goes on in session, but it's really stressful. You don't just work on Sunday. And, you know, we lie awake at night um, learning about the saints and the churches. I'll get very personal, and um, I'll be very discreet in the way I share it, but so much so to tell you, like, you know, almost every year I go to GA as a representative of my presbytery. In the past two GAs, I've had, I can't even count on one hand, so one hand and a finger, a number of men who have taken me into confidence and said they are getting so abused in the church, they are so burned out that they committed suicide. So, you know, it's hard. Um, you know, there's a lot of the spiritual abuse that goes on towards officers in the church. And, and, and a lot of times they're just dealing, they're pulling up under tremendous strains, of course, of marriages falling apart, all the expectations and workload. And those are the people that, uh, you know, um, they may only have one job, you know. So those are bivocational, it's even more so. Anything being done for those? People, those men that are suffering like that? Yeah, absolutely. So both privately and publicly. Dave Haney, before he died, had this ministerial care vision. I use that loosely. To start a ministerial care. I forgot to give you your five minute warning. You're out four minutes. Okay. Had this ministerial uh, care um, um, you know, goal. And thankfully that was operationalized before he died. So now, not only ministers is the denomination being more aggressive, if you will, about getting out ahead of that, but also the ministers' wives and families and stuff. And um, and, and I think on a, on a local level, I mean, in this last year or two, we've had ministers not just threaten suicide, but commit suicide. 
one in the southwest and one down in Florida. And so that's a real issue. You know, and that's just, of course, the final step. <laughs> you know, there's probably a lot of people out there that are suffering under the stress of ministry. So yeah, there are some very practical things. Hopefully in Northern California Presbytery, they have some kind of ministerial care going on. In our presbytery, I'm in the Mid-Atlantic Presbytery. Okay, I should probably say something about the annual fund and scholarship aid funds, which I don't like to talk about, but nevertheless, it's on my list here. And um, so along with the amazing gifts from God's people for the student housing, like I said, $29 million raised, our seminary has about a $5 million annual budget, and less than half is supported through tuition income. In other words, every student who comes, they're being subsidized by our constituency to partake in the education, uh, which is great. And um, I love having that piece of ammunition to uh, lay before my students that are, let's put it this way, less than disciplined. And say, uh, <laughs> you know, you need, you need to be working harder in this course because um, there are people you know, maybe there's even somebody here who's helping support your education and, and be a good student of that. Unrestricted gift income for this past fiscal year has reached budget goal of two million six hundred thousand. And so every year we're just you know watching how um, the Lord provides. Look, at the end of the day, uh, we continue to stand firm uh, when a lot of Institutions are going off the reservation. We are not. And actually, we find more we double down on confessional biblical guarantee issues. And in this crazy age we live in, the more the more our constituency is encouraged and supports us. Uh, because they appreciate the fact that we're standing against the, the tide. Um, so we think very uh, highly about um, the office of the word and sacrament, and um, you know, I, if I was if I was a rich man, I probably would consider endowing a chair at, at, at Westminster. Because I think there's probably no better investment for the future of the church than than to train up um, ministers who are being treated uh, or uh, trained faithfully to. Those who decide to preach the word. And, uh, Thanks for your patience listening. Please come up and uh, so we're not including the Lord's Supper table with all this other stuff. Please come up and grab something, and then uh, uh, those are free. And, and uh, let me close this in prayer and we can do this worship. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your kind uh, graces to us at Westminster. California, as we have tried through the decades to stay faithful to preaching the word and training up uh, men for the gospel ministry and men and women for all kinds of locations, not just in North America, but throughout the white world. We pray especially for our students who are going back and have gone back even recently into uh, situations where there is not just the persecution that we all feel, even in this culture, as we try and stand for truth, but actually physical persecution. And um, Lord, I have to be careful how I pray because this is being recorded, but you know who those people are. And so we pray, Lord, that you give them the strength and the courage to stand firm for your truth, uh, come what may, whether it be imprisonment or perhaps even threats to their life. 
and uh, strengthen them and, and help them uh, to have a passion uh, to indeed pity the nations and bring all your elected who might worship you forever and ever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.